The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The reading is from Matthew 22:15-22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Him in His words, and they sent their disciples to Him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. It, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarii. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar Yeah. Render to Caesar, Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. All right, thank you, Andrew, for reading that for us this morning. Hello, everybody. It's good to see you all here. If we haven't met, my name is Russ Ramsey. I see a few unfamiliar faces in the room. I'm the pastor here at the Christ Presbyterian Church Cool Springs location. Uh, we ha- we've had a weird couple of weeks uh, with COVID uh, finding its way into our congregation and uh, specifically into my own family. Uh, last, last couple of weeks, I've been out um, with with COVID, I tested positive, and a couple people in my family did as well. I am, I'm cleared uh, by the doctors to be out in public again. I'm told I'm not contagious, and uh, so I'm glad to be back. But uh, thank you for your prayers for for our family. I, I know as as a pastor, um, when when somebody in my position in a church gets COVID, the word spreads quickly um, because because I'm the, I'm the pastor of the church, but we've had several in our congregation, I know, that have, that have, have walked this road, and uh, it's, it's no joke. Um, it, uh, it hit, I, I get hit pretty hard by stuff like this, and so, um, so I'm thankful to be back on my feet. And uh, getting into this morning's passage and this morning's sermon, which we, we, <laughs> we titled a while back, um, but we're in this series on politics, and the title of this sermon is, How Would Jesus Vote? So buckle up, that's the title of this sermon, and that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, I, I uh, well, we'll just, we'll get into it together. It is, it is an election week. Uh, many of us, I'm sure, have already voted early uh, I, I did uh, just as soon as the, the last day we were eligible to, to do early voting, I was able to get in uh, and do that. So many of us have already cast a ballot. Other, others of us are going to do that in just a couple of days. Um, my hope is that everyone who is uh, qualified to vote will, um, will exercise this important civic responsibility that we have. Uh, it's, it's more than just a right. It's a, it's a it's a duty, I think, as a, as a citizen. I was talking to some friends who um, are Australian, uh, and there it's illegal not to vote if you're eligible to vote. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but we're going to talk about 
how do we, how do we as Christian people engage with the political process in a way that keeps first things first, uh, in a way that keeps the, the, the priorities upright, um, in a way that allows us to engage with our consciences uh, before the Lord um, as people who hold dual citizenship. Uh, we hold citizenship in this kingdom, uh, this nation. Uh, if, if you're an American, then, then you have citizenship here. Uh, but as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we also hold citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, which is actually our priority. Uh, that's the first citizenship that we hold, and every other citizenship underneath that is subservient to that. So now most, I think most Christians, when we go into the voting booth, are doing so with our faith engaged. Uh, we're, we're, we're not disassociating our faith in in Christ from casting a ballot. And so it's, it's, it's really not a question, I think, for a lot of believers of are you engaging in the political process in a way that is uh, mindful of your faith? Because I think that that's something that, that leads for all of us. Um, but when we look at this passage of Scripture here where Jesus is being... Um, Confronted, and they're trying, in the context of the passage, you see that they're trying to entangle Jesus. They're trying to trap him uh, in his words. And these are religious leaders, these are Pharisees and, and Herodians, um, who, interestingly, this, this would be bipartisan. Um, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians did not uh, really get along or, or see eye to eye on, on political lines, but together they, they, they want to collectively uh, trip up Jesus. Um, but they're, they're asking him a question about how to engage in the kingdoms of this world. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, we titled the sermon, How Would Jesus Vote? I'm not going to name a candidate. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even... We'll get, in, we'll get into a little bit of the complexity of that, I think. But uh, that's not really the, the aim of the sermon. But, but to raise the question... And to speculate, how would Jesus vote it is, is, a, is a hard thing to answer because, because what we're really asking is how would an omniscient deity cast a vote? How would an omniscient deity, somebody who knows the future, somebody who knows the true character of every person that's on the ballot from local to the national level, um, how would that person uh, leverage their... There, or how would that God leverage uh, his, his vote? What we do know is this. We know what Jesus values. Uh, we know what Jesus values regarding how we carry ourselves as witnesses in the world. In the woefully short time <laughs> that we have together today, my, my hope will be to illuminate some of those values some of those values that we might not only take them into the voting booth, but even more that these would be values that we would seek to live by at all times. Uh, so that's what I want to do is I want to get into what are the values that a citizen of the kingdom of God carries with them in their engagement with politics on a local level uh, and serving on a local level. If you've been around 
Uh, by the way, if you've been around our church for any amount of time, you will know that I am not a person who talks politics from the pulpit. Um, <clears throat> this is not something that I have done uh, much uh, in my life, as in my 20 years of, of being in the pulpit. And yet it's an important topic that Jesus engages, and so it's one that we're engaging now, during, especially during this season where we are facing a national election. Um, this passage is fascinating. It's fascinating because of what it reveals about how Jesus saw the kingdoms of this world. And so I want to talk about it uh, just a little bit here, what we're seeing in this passage. And the first thing that we see is Jesus promotes living as a citizen of the kingdom you're in. So he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That's another way of saying, if you're part of a society that has infrastructure, if you're part of a society that has things like civic services and roads and water and things like this, and you benefit from those services, then be a contributing member to that infrastructure. So in other words, Jesus is not telling Israel, he's not telling us, go live off the grid. I want you to live separate from everything, live off the grid. Why? Well, the reason we know that he's not calling us to live off the grid is because of what he tells us in the Great Commission. And that he tells us that as his people, we are called to be his witnesses in this world. We're his witnesses. We have a useful, helpful, loving, serving role to play in the communities that we are a part of. So we, we're to be people who are engaged with the world in front of us and not seeking to live separate from it. But it's true that the issue of paying taxes to Rome was complicated. Uh, it was kind of a volatile subject for the people of Israel. Uh, and the reason it was a volatile subject was because Rome was an occupying force for Israel. They had come in and taken over and they were an occupying force and they were an empire that opposed the God of Israel. They opposed the idea of there being one God that everyone, including governments, were subservient to. And so if anybody had moral theological grounds to oppose taxation, it would have been Israel. It would have been Israel that was occupied by Rome, the Israel of Jesus' day. They had, they had reason to, to, well, one, they had reason to just resent the entire idea of Rome being present at all. Um, but two, you can see that it's kind of a, if you're trying to trap a religious leader and get him to say something that could cause him trouble later down the road by Rome, this is the question you ask. Should you, as a teacher of the people of Israel, do you think that we should be funding this empire that hates us and hates our God? That's the question that they're wanting to, they're wanting to get him to say something that would cause Rome to look at him and say, you're, you're going away, right? And so Jesus' initial response, well, first the thing that you see is that the what the religious leaders did is they sent pupils. They sent people in training to try to trap Jesus. That's what they said. They plotted how to entangle him, and so they sent their disciples. They sent their students to try to trap Jesus into saying something that could get him arrested. Imagine that. 
trying to get somebody in trouble for what they say about politics, right? <laughs> Never happens, right? But the question is, is it right to pay taxes? Jesus' initial response is not directed at their question. His initial response is directed at their motives. And their motive here is malice. Their motive is they are trying to hurt him. They're trying to hurt him. Why? Because they despise him. And here I think we get to kind of the underlying foundation of all political discourse, questions that a follower of Christ needs to ask themselves when we engage in political discussion. And that question is, what's motivating me in this discussion? Is what's motivating me in this discussion that I believe that I see the field with perfect clarity and anybody who disagrees with me is a fool, is a sinner, and if they... and the reason I'm engaging is I'm trying to figure out who's with me and who's against me. Is that why we're engaging? If that's why we're engaging, Jesus calls out people, religious people, who are trying to trap him in this way. So it's good for us to ask, but when I go into discussions or when I engage people on political discussion, am I doing it because my motives are that I have lines that are drawn and my primary motivation is really... Um, disdain for those who differ from me for, uh, or, or disdain for those who govern me. As Christians, we're called to be people who are known for the way that we love. They will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. This text speaks to a truth that we live in, and, and it's this, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we participate in two kingdoms, and that's just the reality for us, right? There's the kingdom of this world, which if you're an American means it's a democracy. It's a place where we live and work and play and we pay our taxes and we drive on our roads and we vote. And then there's the kingdom of God, which is a monarchy, right? Where there's a king on a throne who reigns forever and that is Christ and where those who trust him hold eternal citizenship there. And what scripture teaches us about living in two kingdoms at the same time is this, is that our citizenship in God's kingdom holds priority. It holds priority over our citizenship, citizenship in any other kingdom of this world. We see this actually lived out in Acts chapter 5 when the captain of the temple guard commands Peter and the apostles to stop preaching in the name of Jesus and their response to the captain of the temple guard is, you're putting us in an impossible situation because we have to obey God first, and so we will obey God first. We will, we, you can't make us choose between obeying man rather than God. We have to choose obedience to God. When forced to choose between obedience to two kingdoms, followers of Christ are to choose obedience to God. That's... that's the first ethic of being somebody who holds dual citizenship where one of those citizenships is in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> With that means then that we hold an important responsibility and that important responsibility is to discern with wisdom and grace 
when we may be forced to choose between two kingdoms, because sometimes we may feel like we're being forced to choose between obedience to God versus obedience to the kingdom of this world when we're really not. We just are being inconvenienced by it. And I see this happen. We see this happen um, with, well, our church, for example, right? We're, we're a church. We're a church that gathers. Uh, we do live stream as well. And one of the things we do when we gather is we ask people to wear face coverings when we're singing and when we're in close proximity to one another. We sit in social distance kind of, kind of a way. Um, it's a different feeling completely than it was a year ago when we were all crammed in together and we were uh, finding places to sit and squeezing past each other in the hallway. And we're doing these things partially because we're being asked to, right? We're being asked to by... Uh, local officials who are saying practice social distancing. As a pastor, I have to tell you, I don't feel like the kingdom of God and the rights of a citizen of the kingdom of God are being infringed upon when our community is saying practicing these guidelines, practicing these habits is something that we're asking everybody to be a part of because it's, it's, it may be an inconvenience for us, but it's something that is also an opportunity for us to express and extend love to our neighbors. And so we have to be discerning and not be quick to rush and say, because I don't like what I'm being asked to do, my rights as a citizen of the kingdom of God are being infringed upon by things that, I'm, that my local government is asking me to do. So we have to be careful with that because it's, a big, it's, it's high stakes, it's a big deal when we have to take a moment, when, when, if we find ourselves in a position where we have to say, I'm being asked to choose between obedience to God and obedience to the kingdom of, of this world, and they're in conflict with each other. Because they're not always in conflict with each other, even if it's inconvenience or even if it feels like it's not what we would want. We're called to participate in the kingdom that the Lord puts us in. And we're called to participate as life-giving, contributing members to that, whose allegiance is first to his kingdom. But because it is first to his kingdom, then our participation in this, in this kingdom is then motivated by love and by service. Jesus, in this passage, I love what he, what he, the way that he turns things. Um, because they, they, they say, should you pay taxes? And he says, bring me a coin, right? And he, and he says, you know, he holds it up and he says, whose image is on this? Render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars. Render unto God the things that are God's. Now, I think what's fascinating here and what we need to note is the um, comparison that Jesus is making. Because what he's doing here is he's holding up a coin and it bears Caesar's image, right? And what he says is, this bears Caesar's image, this belongs to Caesar. In other words, render unto Caesar the things that bear the image of Caesar. Ah, here's where the comparison gets interesting. What's he saying? He's saying, give to Caesar the things that bear the image of Caesar. What follows then is render unto God the things that bear the image of God. Now, he's just, that's a ninja move right there. He's just, he's... <laughs> Because for the audience that he's talking to, these religious leaders who are trying to trap him, he has just put in front of them something that is foundational to their theological framework. 
and that is this. What bears the image of God? Class? People, right? People bear the image of God. What's made in the likeness of God? Only one thing, human beings. And so he's saying, as citizens of Rome, as people who are in the structure of the Roman system with its economy and all that, render unto Caesar the things that bear the image of Caesar, and as citizens of the kingdom of God, render unto God the things that bear his image. What does that mean? Well, it means that we, it means two things. First, it means that we count our own lives as belonging to him. So my life belongs to him. If I render unto the Lord things that bear his image, that means I, render, I, I offer myself to him. And the second is that we count every other life as precious. Let me break those things down quickly. And then we'll talk about how we should vote. <laughs> First, we count our own lives as belonging to him. We offer ourselves to the Lord for his purposes. And sometimes offering ourselves to the Lord for his purposes means sacrificing our own personal wants for the sake of others. It means that we can't live lives that are focused on building our own kingdoms, whether that's ideology or wealth or whatever, because our lives are not our own. My life does not belong to me. My life belongs to him. And I am called as a follower of his to be his witness in this world. And so I need to regard my own existence as something that I don't seek to protect and preserve for my own comfort, but that I seek to give away for the purpose of his use. Second, we count every life as precious. Every life as precious. From the unborn to the refugee, from the wealthy entrepreneur to the poor widow, from the person or candidate who aligns with our views to the person or candidate who doesn't align with our views, that we regard them all as image bearers of God and worthy of inherent dignity in every way that we speak and carry ourselves and engage. When you speak of another person, of another human being, C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal, that we're talking to eternal beings. When you speak to another human being, you're talking about somebody who bears the image of God and deserves to be treated as such. Whether we're talking about fools or sages, image bearers all. And so how, the, how does that then factor in? How does that then shape the way that we approach engaging on a civic level, uh, which includes voting? Rendering unto God what is his, that is, all people being precious in his sight, plays out in how we love and serve our neighbors in the means that are afforded to us as citizens of this world, which includes then, doesn't it, participation in a political process, which includes voting. So how do we do that? How do we render our vote to God as people whose citizenship lies in his kingdom before any other? And how do we prioritize the values of his kingdom 
over the kingdoms of this world in the way that we exercise our civic responsibilities. And so what I want to do is I want to conclude with just, I want to name five ways that we can prioritize his kingdom when we engage in the political process, okay? Uh, I promise you will not have heard, uh, all of these you will have heard before. Uh, the first is love your neighbor. A vote is, this is, I'm a, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but this is a relatively new thought to me. Um, and by relatively new, I mean probably the last few uh, presidential election cycles, okay? Uh, and that is this. A, a vote is an opportunity to act on behalf of the weak and the marginalized. Uh, that's what your vote is. So you have things to consider when you go into the voting booth. But, but the question is, for, for the people of the kingdom of God, where what we prize is the dignity of all people, when you go into the voting booth, don't consider only the things that you value. But what would make for a better society for everybody? And sometimes what that might mean is voting against your preferences for the sake of other people. So love your neighbor. The second is refuse, refuse to accept collateral damage. If in order to get something that you value, you must vote this way, but in the process of doing that, it damages others. Refuse to accept that. You, you may feel like, well, but then it's just futility that I'm doing. It, Refuse to accept collateral damage. Don't accept systems where protecting one group of people comes at the expense of damaging others. Render unto God the value of all human life, from the womb to the tomb, regardless of nationality, regardless of status, regardless of wealth, regardless of political affiliation. Don't accept narratives that say, well, it's just you have to, you have to choose this one at the cost of another uh, because this one is more precious than that one. Refuse to accept collateral damage. Third, act outside of any system that doesn't support justice for all. It's complicated sometimes being in a two-party system because I know many people wish there were other options. Uh, wish there, give, give, me a, give me a third, give me a fourth, give me a fifth option. Let's, let's spread some things around. Um, sometimes what we're called to do is we're called to act outside of a system that doesn't support justice for all. When you see a system that gives preferential treatment to one group of people over another, especially if you are in that preferred group, seek to be an agent of change there. Seek to be an agent of change there. This may mean parting ways with a political party that you've been aligned with your whole life. It may mean parting ways with an organization if, as it stands, it does not uphold the inherent dignity of personhood but instead promotes things that are contrary to the values of the kingdom of God, like dishonesty or injustice. Fourth, remember, and this is a really important one, remember that our witness as Christians is not in how we align politically with the kingdoms of this world, but is with how we love and serve our neighbors. That's our witness, how we love one another. People see People see when Christians align with political positions that fail to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Many even believe 
that what Christians must value, uh, many, many people believe that what Christians must value based on what they see in news coverage um, is just a political affiliation. And Jesus said, no, your true witness, your true witness is in how you love others. And then finally is this, ask the Lord to guide you. Ask the Lord to guide you. Uh, when I was 18, casting my very first vote, uh, it was a while ago, it was so clear to me what I should do, right? It was just, I saw the field with just perfect clarity. It was very black and white, very cut and dried. And <laughs> the older I get, the, the less clarity I have. Um, and so I'm asking the Lord, guide me, guide me, help me know what to do. And ask the Lord to guide you, remembering that he's sovereign over all things. Here's the truth. Because I, I read our Facebook pages and we have conversations and, and I know our congregation. You ready for the truth? I think as a congregation, we're all going to just cancel each other out in the, in the, in the ballot box. I really do. I think that half of the ballots or so in our congregation are going to be the exact opposite of the other half. I think that's where, that's where we're headed. And it's going to be with every one of us asking the Lord to lead us and asking the Lord to give us wisdom. Listen, we don't control outcomes. But that's not the point, right? That's not the point. Casting a ballot is a way of seeking first the kingdom of God, trusting that the Lord is sovereign over outcomes, that he's sovereign over what happens here in this place. And for that reason, we can trust in his goodness no matter what the outcome is. There was a time when Israel was under the rule of Rome. And Israel felt to their core that everything about that was wrong. Right? Everything about it was wrong. But here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. And that is that the Lord used the Roman occupation of Israel. He used it as a vehicle to spread the gospel beyond the borders of Israel. It wasn't the reach of the nation of Israel that facilitated the gospel making its way throughout Europe. It was the spread of the Roman Empire that facilitated that. And what looked to Israel like a catastrophe was something that God leveraged for the purpose of sending the gospel to the four corners of the world into even the Birch Ballroom in Williamson County, Franklin, and Cool Springs right here today. So take heart. The Lord rules. He is not off of his throne ever. Here's what I pray for us. I pray that the Lord would give us wisdom as we cast our ballots. I pray that he would give us unity across lines of difference in the things that hold for all eternity. That he would give us unity in the love and the kindness and the grace of God given to all of his image bearers through the perfect and the finished work of Jesus Christ who redeems and who restores and who preserves for all eternity those whose faith is in him. When I cast my vote on uh, a couple days ago, 
I did so, admittedly, I did so with a feeling of futility. Um, I don't know what difference it makes. And yet at the same time, I ask the Lord, help me to, help me to use this opportunity to serve people. Uh, and what that looked like for me is going to look different. I know it looks different than, than what it looks like for many of you. Um, and yet at the same time, I think it's a formative experience that the Lord gives us to say, you have, you have dual citizenship here. Um, and your citizenship in the kingdom of God is the priority. And the values of the kingdom of heaven are the ones that you then take in to the kingdoms of this world. Let that be a guiding principle as we seek to engage with the things that we've been called to be a part of. Let me pray for us. Father, when we talk about something like this, uh, the enemy crouches at the door to seek to divide us in every possible way. Uh, and uh, I just pray against that. I pray that you, would, um, that you would remind us as we carry ourselves into the uh, process of, of engaging with election, elections on a local and national level that you would remind us that you are sovereign over all things, that you are all powerful, that you work um, in time and space, that you are engaged, that you have not left us, but that you have promised, that you have called us to yourself and you love us with an everlasting love and you will never let us go. Thank you that your mercy and grace reaches far and wide. Uh, give us humility, give us unity, give us love, give us affection for our brothers and sisters, people who are made in the image of God. Help us to learn what it means with every facet of our lives to render unto you the things that bear your image, to care uh, for the image bearers uh, that we come into contact with and to regard ourselves as such. And uh, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.